Welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary for Saturday the 15th of April 2017. I'm recording this diary one day early because we're off gallivanting for the Easter weekend. So today's Thursday when I'm recording this and I just went over the limit, my 5,000 word target and wrote 5,008 words today. That is just crawling in over the finishing line. Um, I was up at six o'clock, so it wasn't a working day today. I do my day job, um, what is it, Monday to Wednesday. And I woke up really early today. I think it was five something and at six o'clock, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to get up because I can have this written. And then once my writing's done, I can go off and have some fun. <laughs> well, writing is fun, but you know what I mean? I can have a little bit of freedom, go into town and just uh, doss about a little bit. So, and start the holiday early. So I got the writing done. It was done by midday. Um, so we're up to 10,000 words now. Since I last spoke to you, I've changed the title. I had some inspiration in the shower, as I often do. And the current title of the book is burden of guilt that's the the title and i don't know why i'm obsessed with the 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 three word titles but for a thriller don't know what it is about them they just seem to work well for a thriller so i'm I'm going with it i'm running with it and going for the three word titles that doesn't mean to say that i'll never break the rule but I, i in this case i'm going with the three words now i came up with another idea um other than burden of guilt which is well it's either too many lies or so many lies probably so many lies at the moment then, the working title is Burden of Guilt or So Many Lies. I've made a cover for Burden of Guilt, just a holding cover, which we'll have to do until I can afford to get some decent covers put on the books. And I've put that on the resources page. Being up to 10,000 words now, it's always good when you get to that stage. I'm always very nervous when I do the first 5,000 because if you think about it, it's like launching a rocket. You're not sure whether it's going to get up there or not when you're writing the first 5,000 words. And as I've said before, I, I try and get that really strong image in my mind so I know that this thing's got some fuel in it. Um, so to get to 10,000 words, I'm now beginning to spread the story out and develop the characters and, and bring in all the people who might have done it and it just beginning to weave the plot better. And I feel at 10,000 words that this thing's really got legs now. I feel a lot more confident at 10,000 words. I'm getting well into it now. So... Burden of Guilt looks like it's the title at the moment. That might change next week. Um, But it's going well. Got the 5,000 words done today. Next week, interestingly, just because the way the week goes, the kids are on holidays at the moment. So my priority next week is going to be to get Dead of Night done. Now, that came back from Helen Fazal this week. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment or two. But I don't think I'm going to get any writing done next week. Not unless I have a real stunning week editing Dead of Night and getting that ready to sell. But I'll talk about Dead of Night in a moment or two. The um, other thing I wanted to mention this week is that I've been playing around with a little podcast tool, which is called podhero.io. And I can't even remember where I found this. You know what it's like on the internet. You're surfing around and, and these things pop up. And you'll see if you look at the self-publishing journeys website you'll see that i've installed this and it puts a little widget at the bottom of my website now that says please leave a review and uh, pod hero is is free and i just thought well i'll have a look at it as i like to with all of these things and one of the things it does which makes life really good for a podcast host like me is it brings in 
all my reviews in one place. And the problem is, and I didn't realize this, all I've been seeing is UK reviews, but I have reviews elsewhere. And there was one very useful review in the States, in the iTunes uh, marketplace in the States. Now, this person hasn't got a name. They've just put um, lots of letters in there, KLFGH, all sorts of nonsense in there. So I don't know why it's done that, why I can't get a name off that. But um, if you are that person who left that review, I'd like to thank you very much because that's just the kind of review you want, which is where somebody gives you some information that you can actually action. You know, So it's not an opinion or don't like this is rubbish, which really we can't do much about. But, but this person left a review, and thank you very much for your five-star and very positive review. Um, but they put a really useful comment in there, which is, Paul, you need to fix how your episode descriptions come up on the iPhone. They all give the same generic overview instead of each episode description. So having read that, and I haven't seen that, I don't know how long that's even been there, that review, but because I've got this new Pod Hero tool, it lets me see all the reviews I hadn't seen before. And uh, so I investigated that. And actually, when I looked in iTunes, I thought, yeah, well, sure, I can see that. I can see that those, if you're getting those on a phone, I don't know what an iPhone looks like. I don't use Apple products. But I, I thought, yeah, I can see that. I can see all you're going to do is get a row of diaries and they all look the same. So for that person who left the review, and I would love it if you sent me an email, let me know who you are so I can thank you. Um, but I have uh, actioned that feedback. So what I hope you'll see now when you go to your iPhone is you'll see them uh, dated. So I've made sure that the descriptions are dated they're marked ppd paul's podcast diary but i've just changed the format of them so hopefully that will help you to organize them again if you are the person who left that review uh, um, and, and this person does say that they, they listen to the diaries so hopefully you're listening to this right now thank you for that feedback and, and again you know feedback like that it's never it's not a help to anybody frankly if somebody just sort of bitches or or says oh, you know, it's fantastic and doesn't say why, because there's not really much you could do about that uh, or, or whether you can action it. But that was perfect feedback. It was feedback on the podcast and then something practical and actionable that I could do just like that. And I did it on, what is it? Monday evening. I just sat down and did the lot on Monday evening. So I hope that has made the customer experience better for you. Um. Did an interview last night for the podcast. Um, I'm trying with the podcast interviews. What, what I've tended to do is I, 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 they're like buses. You know, you, you try and book one and then you end up doing five in a week. And, and that's happened too often with the podcast where I just end up doing too many podcast interviews and it, and it fills in all the gaps in my week. So I'm really making an effort at the moment to just try and pace them. So I'm not, well, not doing more than two a week um, because I, I tend to do them in the evenings, often after I've done a day at work when I'm quite tired. So a run of three is a bit much, really. And I did uh, an interview with Justin Sloan last night, which is my only podcast interview this week. So I, I'm getting better at it with the pacing of them. And um, Justin actually approached me through Twitter. I don't usually respond to approaches um, through Twitter. I, I had some real kind of, um, you know, forthright email this week saying, we've got this fantastic guest for your podcast. And, and when somebody always, when somebody starts anything like that, my immediate reaction is, you know, I'll decide whether it's fantastic. Don't, don't tell me whether it's fantastic and great for my audience. That's my decision. I, I run the show. So it immediately puts me on my guard. So just a warning to you, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm open to pitches, but you've got to pitch in the right way. And I'll decide what's right for my audience. I'd rather you didn't tell me what's right for my audience. So uh, this was really kind of scam, not a scammy, but it was very marketing -y email. And I just said, look, you know, I, I don't, I don't 
respond to emails like this. I prefer to find people that I'm interested in who are doing things that interest me and then talk to them. And um, Justin is, is a very rare case. And I think maybe one, two, three in the history of the podcast, maybe three people have contacted me and reached out directly to me. And actually, a lot of the time, I'm following those people anyway. So I'm already half stalking them in a nice way uh, on Twitter because I just like to watch people. If I'm not familiar with them. I like to just watch them for a while, see what they're up to, see if they're interesting, uh, make sure they've got a website and all those all those criteria that I use for the podcast. And, and Justin met those uh, criteria. He's a very, very interesting guy. Um, he's been writing the sort of scripts for video games. Uh, he's done screenplays, lots of screenplays. He's sold a screenplay. And boy, does he write a lot of books. Um, he's also involved with a chap whose name escapes me. Michael Andalay, I think that's right. Andalay, Michael Andalay, terrible with names. And uh, he runs the, is it 20K to whatever it is podcast? Come on, Paul, do your research. Hang on, I'll bring it up on Facebook while I'm yakking to you. But um, Michael Andalay is, is the man of the moment. And Justin has done some writing, some co-writing with Michael Andalay. And so uh, for all sorts of reasons, I wanted to talk to, to Justin. He's also very well connected in the indie world. And also he has um, just given up his day job because he's making enough money uh, writing now so for all sorts of reasons I wanted to talk to, to to Justin so I interviewed him last night that interview is good to run in May and I have now brought up the Facebook page and it's a highly recommended Facebook group by the way it's called 20 books to 50k that's what I was trying to say 20 books to 50k and uh, you'll have heard me uh, I don't really like Facebook groups as a rule but um, when you find a good one they're great and I've recommended before on this podcast, the Kindling group, and you have to pay to buy the product to get into that group, but that has been my favorite group to date. Uh, but I have to say, I, I'm now really impressed with 20 books to 50K. It's a real quality writer's group where you've got people there who are really doing extremely well. And right at the top of that group, uh, it's got a banner there that says, for writers, search before asking, i.e. you know, no stupidity, don't ask the same question a million times when the answer's already there. Uh, no self promo. That's always a good sign of a group. And also keep it civil. And they really, they just throw people out. You know, the, the kind of the bitches, the whiners, and the people who just can't say anything positive. They're out straight away. And, and so it's a really well run group. So I can't recommend it highly enough to you. It's a free one. You don't have to buy anything to join it, but it's a real quality group. I'm getting some real value out of that group at the moment. Okay, so what next? Uh, let's go to the Alliance of Independent Authors QA. Uh, I did this for uh, Orna Ross for the uh, for Ally. This was on Tuesday, and I don't really like doing uh, video stuff. I'm, I'm not keen on it. You'll notice if you look at my my outlets that you'll hear my voice and you'll see slides and you might see an on-screen demo, but you very rarely see me and my face on screen. I, I sort of do it reluctantly when I have to. And there's a very good reason why I worked 20 years in radio. I was never the slightest bit interested in telly. I just wasn't interested in it. And uh, so that was never one of my uh, career goals. And every now and then I, they wheeled me out for telly. I had to do something for telly. And I, I'd grin and bear it. And I, I, you know, I know the game. You just have to get on with it when, when it's time to do it. But I, I don't enjoy it. Um, I'm, I'm an old geezer uh, who, who didn't grow up with videos stuck in my face. And I, I'm still quite... Uh, I don't like being on video, uh, particularly. And if I am on video, I like it to be in a controlled environment. So it was quite an interesting experience for me to do that Q&A. Um, we got the questions beforehand, which is nice. So I could write some notes down. But it's interesting, wasn't it? Um, I've put the put the video on the resources page for this week, but there is there really was with that that 
feeling of imposter syndrome in that I, I never set myself up. I don't set myself up as the guy who's going to tell you how to sell a thousand books. Well, I mean, actually, I probably have thousand, sold a thousand books, but uh, but I, I'm not. I don't set myself up as that guy because you know I'm not at all happy with how many books I'm selling, and there are people you know way more experienced than me and doing far better than I am, and I'm not that guy to tell you how to sell a million books. I, I but I want what I can tell you is you know how to make websites, how to do social media stuff. I can tell you geeky stuff because I've. Done, done a lot of the stuff I do it all myself um, and I can certainly tell you how to start making those first sales but I don't set myself up for anything more than that because I don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about that I, I hope maybe one day I will if uh, if I you know crack the nut and find the secret uh, but not at the moment so I must admit that when I did that q and um, I felt a little bit uncomfortable with some of the questions about you know who, who am I to answer these questions I don't feel like I'm um, experience enough really to to be to be doing this. So normally, somebody like Joanna Penn does it, and there's you know no doubt in my mind that somebody like Joanna is exactly the right kind of person to be doing it because she's walking the walk, talking the talk. But I I didn't feel like I was uh, qualified to to do that. So um, you know that may be a, that may be a one time appearance. I'll I'll have a think about it and sort of look at the feedback. But uh, it was summarised beautifully. Uh, on the Alliance of Independent Author Forum, where somebody came on and said, just be listening to this, you know, month's Q&A. Uh, who is Paul Teague? And I thought you might rightly ask, you know, that that's really it, isn't it? That's it in a nutshell, in, in my opinion. Who the heck are you? And and I just thought, you know, yeah, you know, you're right. Who who, who am I to be doing this? So um, there are some things that I'm very comfortable doing, some very comfortable teaching things that I know and I've got experience of. Um, but I'm not sure I was so comfortable with that. I did say to Warner, you know, I don't generally do things like this. Uh, it's not really my preferred way of, of sort of presenting knowledge. Um, so anyhow, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's early days and uh, much as I'm happy to do other things, uh, possibly I won't do one of those again, I don't think, in the future. We'll, we'll, we'll see whether there was a lynch mob gathering with pitchforks and, fl- you know, flares um, and just see what the response is. But the, the the other thing is, is because I do a lot of work with businesses, obviously I see author careers as, as a business. And there are a lot of questions there where I just think, you know, sit down, do the work, do the writing. Uh, you know, stop finding distractions, just go on with the writing. And um, and a lot of it I, I view with the business head on. And I, I, did, I felt a bit strict, to be honest with you. I felt like I was being a bit strict with people. Now, again... I, I wouldn't normally be in an environment. Normally I'm in an environment where I'm showing people how to do things. I'm teaching people how to do things. But when people are asking questions like that, you're in that scenario. My, my view is, like somebody was asking about setting up a small press. And my view of that from a business point of view is, you know, why would you set up a small press unless you're extremely happy with the business and the sales that you're making already? Because to me, that's just a distraction. It's a thing that's going to give you more stress, more hassle. Um, why would you do it? Unless it's a vanity project, um, you know, it's something that you've always dreamed of doing, which is fine. If it's something you've always dreamed of doing, that's always fine. But otherwise, I can't really see a reason for doing it. Now, somebody like Joanna Penn, who's a six-figure author, very established, got a lot of titles behind her. She's set up her new uh, imprint. She's not taking submissions at the moment. She's controlling it very tightly. Makes perfect sense for somebody like jo- Joanna Penn to do it because she's got the resources to outsource. She's got the contacts. She knows everybody she needs to know. She can scale it. She's not going to be doing all the work. It makes perfect sense for somebody in her position to do that when she's got lots of titles. But with my business head on, it would be like me having a small imprint. You know, why on earth would I do it? Um, and, and so I just felt like, you know, maybe maybe my answers 
weren't the kind of answers people want to be hearing uh, on on a on a Q and A like that. And I work with a lot of businesses um, through the Chamber of Commerce, and and a lot of the time, my feeling is when people set up businesses. I see shops being set up and things like that in town and they close after six months. I think, who's giving these people this advice? You know, because I know and you know, if you're trying to sell ebooks online, we we sell an item that is highly profitable. When I sell something online, a course or a, an ebook, that thing doesn't even exist. There's only my time, well, only my time, but my time has gone into that. There are no raw materials generally involved in a digital sale. So it's pretty well raw profit. Now, People who are setting up shops, who've got rates to pay and staff to pay and equipment and all of this stuff. I, I just look at shops and I think, how are you making a profit? You look at a news agent and you think, how many pennies are you making per paper? How many papers do you have to sell? You know, before you've even covered your rates and, and your electricity bill and things like that. So I look at all businesses like that, you know, knowing how difficult it is to get a digital business going where it's so profitable. Um, everything you do is profit virtually other than your time. And, and so I, I don't know who's advising people to go into business. So I, I often think that people need a bit more of that toughness to say, you know, it's just because you want to make a business doesn't mean it's good to work and you might lose a lot of money on it. So that doesn't mean don't set up a business, but it just means ask yourself those tough questions. You'd be very, very honest with yourself before you set up a business because you see people putting their redundancy money into businesses um, and you just think, you know, what, why? Why would you do that? Uh, did you test the market before you did that business? Or was it just wishful thinking that you thought that business was going to work? So my my attitude, because I've seen a lot of this, is is to really challenge people. And if the answer is still, you know, yes, I've tested my market. You know, yes, I know I can sell this product. Yes, I know I can make this work. Fine, go ahead and launch the business. But until you've asked yourself those questions, I don't think you should. And um, and I don't see enough sort of tough tough questioning going on when people are setting up businesses. Just because you think it's going to be a business doesn't mean it's going to be, it's going to work. And if you're going to lose the shirt off your back, like an inheritance or your redundancy pay, I think you need to ask yourself those tough questions. So anyhow, that's a long way of saying that. <laughs> I'd appreciate your feedback on the Q&A if you get time to watch it. Uh, and, and be blunt, because, um, you know, as I say, I, I felt that I was more of a hindrance than a help on that. Uh, and, and maybe not telling people what they wanted to hear. Okay, so I'm booked in for the Amazon Academy in Edinburgh. It's definitely Tuesday the 23rd of May. So if you're listening to this in Scotland... Uh, I'll see you there. Uh, I, I hope I hope you go. Uh, I'm representing the Alliance of Independent Authors, if they let me, after my Q&A on Tuesday. Uh, I've represented them at Edinburgh. And um, the, the publicity, Amazon, the publicity is very poor on these. Um, you know, if, if, if they, they must have got the venue book because it's a big venue. It's the Edinburgh International Conference Centre. You don't book that at the last minute, you know, with five minutes notice. So they must have known about this for a while. And um, it would be nice for them to publicise it a little bit better because it would be nice to see a really good attendance there. There must be loads of independent authors in Scotland. But I shall be talking uh, on behalf of the Alliance of Independent Authors if the Shepherd's Crook doesn't come out and pull me off uh, on the 23rd of May. Either way, I'm attending it anyway to listen to the speakers. Um, so I, I booked my hotel, I booked my rail ticket. So that usually means I'm on my way. Um, I was talking about the Dead of Night book coming back from Helen Fazal this week. So... If you remember, I've written Dead of Night. I've done my first check on it. It went to Helen. Helen's had it for a couple of weeks. She's been through it, sent it back to me. I do my last edit on it. Helen gives it a last read for, for, for spelling checks, proofreading, and then it goes live. So it's due to go live May the 3rd. And I cannot believe it. How long have I been doing this now? And I've got caught out again on those blasted pre-release dates. So just as a warning, if you haven't done this before, when you put a 
book on pre-sale although your your release date as is as is the case with mine might be the 3rd of may you always have to have it ready that several days before it's four or five days before whatever it is so i've got to have my book ready before the 3rd of may and it's going to be when is it it's good it's got to be ready on the 29th of of uh, april and i'd completely forgot this i do it every time and so the time I'd budgeted to do the edits on it, I now haven't got. So I've had to shuffle the diary around to make sure that this book's going to be ready to go out on the 3rd of May. But I have to have it in for the 29th of April, which is a Saturday, which is the day I wanted to be doing that work. So, Paul, when will you learn? And let this be a reminder to you. You know, you, When you do the pre-release dates, always put in the diary, not the release date, but the date that the book's got to be ready. Um, so on Easter Monday and next weekend, I'm going to be going through that book with a fine tooth comb. Helen always does a great job of it, but it was a bit disconcerting to get Helen's email back from that book in, in that um, she'd raised some issues with me halfway through editing it. And I had to get back to Helen and say, look, I, I just don't have the time at the moment. I have too, too much on. I When I, shed, I schedule my edits in, in my agenda, and basically, you know, unless it's an emergency, everything has to, to take its turn because I, I've got commitments and deadlines all the time. So reluctantly, I had to say to Helen, look, I just can't look at this at the moment. You, you'll have to work through it, send it back to me, raise the issues in the edit, and I'll sort them out in, on the days I've got allocated to work on this book because it is a bit of a sausage factory with everything at the moment. And it's been squeezed, of course, by having to work three days a week. So Helen sent the book back and it was a bit disconcerting to get the, the email back. And um, I just thought, oh, you know, it's when you get a list of things that are wrong, sometimes you just want somebody to tell you what's right with it. Because it, it, depending on how things are stacking in the day, you can think, oh. And I, I had a day like that um, whenever that came in. I got Helen's email and I, I sort of saw that there were, she'd raised issues with the book. And, and, and as a writer, as a first writer, I'd felt that book was okay. I'd felt that there weren't sort of issues with it. Um, and, and my wife hadn't found any difficulties with it. So that was a bit of a problem seeing those issues. And obviously I've got to work through them yet and see what they are. And then also I, I think I was having a bit of a down day about the the Burden of Guilt book, the, the book that keeps changing its title, but Burden of Guilt as it's currently called, because I'd done the f- first 5,000 words and I just had a bit of a, you know, I, I'm a negative writer day. On Tuesday, I think it was, whenever it was, um, when I just thought, oh, you know, the work I've just done isn't good enough. The work I'm doing isn't good enough. And why am I bothering? And I, I probably don't share this enough on this diary, but um, because I sound gung-ho and I sound like I've always get the 5,000 words done. But the, the targets and the achievements are how I keep myself going because I do have those feelings. If I ever stop to think about it too hard, I think, the things that everybody else does, which are, you know, I'm a crap writer. This is a crap book. <laughs> I'm never going to be good enough. You know, all these things that everybody thinks. But the way I keep myself going, I just ignore it and just keep doing the 5,000 words. And my my philosophy is the same as when I got into radio. It took me years to get into radio. I did my first, I used to do discos from the age of 16. Um, that's how I started. And then I I got an opportunity to do stu- uh, hospital radio for a dad, my dad's friend. She couldn't do a Friday radio show once. I've still got the, got it on cassette, actually. Um, the first radio show I ever did at the age of 18, which was Scunthorpe Hospital Radio. And uh, I got the radio bug when I did that. It just all of a sudden, all the things I like doing, like writing and um, you know being creative and music and all those things, all came together. I realized that radio was going to be my outlet. 
And then, so from the age of 18, I think I got into radio at 27. So I did student radio for years um, and, you know, tried to get in the BBC and all these things. It took me forever to get into radio, but I just kept going. And I could always remember doing a radio show. I don't know whether I've said this before on this diary. One Sunday night I was teaching, so I was trying to, you know, I was desperately trying to keep my dream of radio going while I was teaching, keeping down a full-time job. And I was going, I'd got a show on a Sunday evening, something like seven till eight or eight till nine, ridiculous time. And I'd do this show every Sunday and no one was listening. And I was just trying to keep my foot in the door of radio to keep that dream alive. Because I felt that if I cancelled the show, I would have no more connection left with radio. And, uh, and I just kept going. And eventually, you know, the planets align as they often do. And I had a 20-year, 18-year, whatever it was, career in radio, uh, just because I kept going. And this is how I feel about writing, that the books I'm writing now might not be good enough. They're, they're, they're not that bad, clearly, because I'm getting average of four to five star reviews across the board on the books. And that doesn't mean I don't get you know, the Duff reviews, but when you look at the average score, they're four to five stars. So I start from the principle that, well, I can't be abysmal. I can't be appalling uh, as a writer. Um, and obviously I'd like more more people reading to give more feedback. So I have to start, when I'm reasoning this, I can't be appalling. I, mu I must be okay. And then I know from radio that if I just keep going, you know, just keep stepping forward, that I'll probably get there eventually. Because, you know, I, I, could I could write a book, whether it's a good book or not, I don't know. But I can certainly get from A to B, like with radio. I could certainly do a show and people would let me do a show because it was, you know, perfectly acceptable. And then I got the chance to do it and to make money out of it for 18 years, you know, make a career out of it. And that's how I am with the books, that I'm not going to pop out the womb as a ready-formed writer. It's something that I've got to learn to do. But if I give up... It's never going to happen. So I just have to keep stepping forward. I do have those times, uh, probably more regularly than I admit on this diary, when I think that what I'm writing is crap. But I know that I've just got to keep going uh, because, uh, you know, I learn, I keep making connections, I keep meeting people, uh, and, and I'll, I'll just keep getting better. And I don't know whether you've heard this concept of doing 10,000 words. 10,000 hours of work, this concept that to become an expert at anything, you have to do 10,000 hours. Well, I'm just, I'm doing my hours is what I'm doing. and I'm learning all the time. And then I only need that one to fly. I need one book to fly, that one idea to fly. And then everybody will be buying the back catalogue. Um, and you know, everybody tells you this. This is why I like doing the podcast, that they just get that, that moment. Everything comes together and then everybody's buying the back catalogue. And all that work they did then becomes justified. So, um, I don't know why I shared that with you, but I just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> I can't even remember how I started that conversation now. But just a little insight, you know, into the fact that everybody, um, I'm sure everybody doubts uh, their writing. And, and I had moments of doubt this week, but my antidote for it is set your next writing date, get your butt in the chair, do your 5,000 words and you'll get through it. Before you know it, if you just keep doing that, you'll have a book written. Uh, and, and I just keep going in that way. Um, so, uh, where are we up to on the list? Okay, a couple of things I've got to mention to you. Because I've messed up that date, unless I have a very good editing day, um, the, the thing is, is that usually when Helen sends me the edit back, I, I look at it and think, oh, my heart sinks. And actually, when I work through it, there's not a lot there, to be honest with you, because she, she does such a brilliant job 
Um, there are obviously a few things that I have to do, but Helen, does, she does a great job at my edits. I'm, I'm so grateful to her. Uh, I'm taking her out for um, lunch, actually, in May, because I thought, you know, we've, um, I met Helen, must be three years ago, because I was doing The Secret Bunker. She attended one of my corporate sessions. We, we had some funding, uh, and we were, we were able to do a session on self-publishing. And um, Helen was a, is a proofreader, and I think she fancied the sound of my books, and so made a direct approach to me. And I'd had a bad experience with an editor just before that, and she offered to do a sample edit. And I found her overall demeanor supportive, which is what I need. Um, you know, I, I have quite a fragile ego. I can take feedback, but it has to be presented in the right way. Um, if, it's, if, you're, if you're snotty or arsy with me, <laughs> then I, I receive that feedback very poorly. But if the, the basic sort of premises is we're trying to get this sorted together and it's supportive, then I can take any number of you know, bad feedbacks. Uh, but but I, it has to come right for me. I can't just take blanket feedback. It has to be delivered in the right way. And, um, and so, you know, Helen delivers feedback in the right way and uh, does a great job of the books. But we've been working together uh, by email. Uh, you know, I generally don't like to talk to people. I, I, I email and, you know, I Skype. Um, but I, I, I generally, that's how I like to work. And so I thought, you know, it's high time. Helen's done so many books now. How many books of mine has she done? Ten, nine or ten she's done now. And, and I just thought, you know, we must, she only lives down the road. <laughs> she lives uh, 20 minutes drive away in Penrith. And um, so I thought, you know, we must meet up and have a conversation about this. Because I'm sure there's all sorts of things that she'd like to rant to me about that I could make her life easier. So anyhow, I'm taking her out for lunch in May and, and really looking forward to it. But that's well overdue. I should have done that ages ago. Apologies, Helen, if you're listening to this. Um, but, you know, this is all about, you know, having good re- working relationships with people. But I'm sure there's a list of things she can give me that I could do fairly easily that will make her life easier. And I'd like to make her life easier. So, you know, probably we'll just yak and talk about the food. But uh, we're going out for lunch anyway in May. Um, the other thing I wanted to do was uh, you've heard me um, talking about Insta Freebie giveaways recently and, and how good they are. And I just wanted to give you a, a more tempered view of that. So I've been taking part in somebody else's giveaway this week it's an insta freebie giveaway a crime insta freebie giveaway and um in that giveaway i've added 140 new leads after over the last seven days now i think last week i was telling you we'd done 800 and something and interestingly as you'll see from the screenshot on the resources page my total subscribers for my thrillers are at 675 at the moment so i suspect people are getting used to the fact that they can get the free book from insta freebie then immediately unsubscribe because there's a big discrepancy in my numbers there. there's a discrepancy of the numbers that have come from mailchimp or come from insta freebie and what i've actually loaded up or what's actually now sitting in my account so my current total is 675 but you can see from the screenshot that in the last seven days i've added 140 subscribers from one giveaway now last week i was saying something like whatever it was 600 800 in a week whatever it was and some people have got more than a thousand in my giveaway but but let's put this into context that's 140 subscribers potentially 140 buyers of my book. I've added that in the last seven days. And when I started internet marketing 2008, 2009, it took me a year to add 25 subscribers to my list. And I still had people unsubscribing during that time. So 140, although it's not as exciting as 1,000 or 800 or 600, 140 subscribers is still 140 potential customers so let's not get snotty about this you know i'm still very happy with 140 subscribers even though clearly it's not as fantastic as a thousand subscribers but i'm still happy with that as a result so i just wanted to give you a more 
uh, balanced, if you want, impression of what you might get from those giveaways. Don't always expect it to be a thousand. That really depends on who's running and organizing the giveaway. Um, but don't ever stick your nose up at 140 subscribers in a week because that's really nice number to get. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm at the stage now where I'm having to watch my get response account because it's just about to flick over and I'm going to have to pay more money for it. So I'm thinking, right, okay, I need to be hammering this a bit, weeding out the people who want to unsubscribe and just watching my costs because I'm about to go, you know, the meter's about to click over to 5,000 to 10,000 subscribers and that's an extra expense for me. So I'm probably going to weed out my list again fairly soon just to make sure I've only got dedicated people there. And to do that, I'll hammer them with emails uh, because... Um, you know, if they don't want it, they can go. <laughs> That's my view of email marketing. Some people are very sensitive with email marketing, but my view is, you know, do business with me or, or at least be receptive to what I'm saying or you can leave because we're never going to do business together. If you don't like what I'm saying or how I am, we're not going to do business together. And, and frankly, if you're paying to hold those people in your subscription list, and I am, I'm paying for each one of them, I'd rather they decided early rather than later. You know, so what we're we're avoiding is what we call tire kickers or carpet treaders. Uh, you know, people who are just browsing and have no intention of, of of doing business or engaging in any way. And and I would encourage you to do that. People are very sensitive about email lists when they get them, uh, mainly because the subscribers are hard won. But don't ever worry about that. Your, your email list is there to qualify customers, to qualify people who who know, like, and trust you. And if they don't, you're paying for them and they can leave. And I don't mean that in a rude way. We don't tell them to get lost. But um, I receive, uh, I think it's Writer's Digest. I get about three or four emails a day. I have um, property emails from somebody uh, in the UK, and they send me sometimes four emails a day because I am receptive to that message. I'm always receptive. I'm not buying everything all the time, but I'm very happy to hear from those people because I know that when they do give me good information, it's gold dust, and I want to hear it. So I don't mind how many people those, how many emails those people send me because I'm receptive to them I know like and trust them and that's the kind of customer the kind of person you want on your list you don't want tire kickers and carpet treaders you want them to decide whether they're you know they're in or they're out as soon as possible and they will never mind how many emails you send them if they're if they're part of your tribe so don't be sensitive about that I feel like I've gone all over the place today <laughs> but there you go I hope that's useful to you uh, that's the diary for this week recorded on a Thursday um got a great guest on Monday. Now, normally this podcast, the brief of this podcast is to talk to indie authors who have sold, um, who've self-published at least one book and are making some sales. Now, that doesn't have to be a lot of sales, but I, I kind of want people who I'm talking to, to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk, to use that phrase again. They need to have, have been through the experience so they can talk about it and they need to be able to talk to me about how they're selling books and the creative things they're doing and the experience of getting covers, listing books and all of those things. You know, Otherwise, there's not really a story to tell. So um, I, I've tried to prioritise voices that you won't have heard on other podcasts before. Uh, but coming up over the next few weeks, you're going to hear one or two authors who, who I'm talking to, bigger authors, very successful authors. And we've, we've had a couple in previous weeks um, j just because I want to talk to them because I, I read their books, I'm interested in their career or they add uh, a lot of value. And um, Monday's guest is an example of that, Adam Croft, who you'll have heard of before. I've heard a lot of interviews with Adam Croft, but I haven't heard anybody asking the questions I want to ask Adam. <laughs> and so I thought, right, I, I want to get Adam on um, because if you listen to the interviews with Adam, You'll hear that he's, you know, he's had this very successful uh, book that was all over Facebook and that he did um, the Facebook training 
that Mark Dawson does. And, and you would think that he, you know, he came out of nowhere and he just suddenly found this Facebook advert and all of a sudden he's paid his mortgage off. And to a certain extent, that story is true. But there's always more to the story than the headlines. And no one, I felt, was digging into um, Adam's journey. Because uh, I, as you know, on this podcast, I like to dig into the difficult times too. I don't want to just, I want to hear about how you got successful and how you paid off the mortgage with your book. But also, I want to put that in an overall context. I want to hear about the times when you were going to give up. Because a lot of authors, myself included, you know, find solace in that, that, that people didn't just turn up, write a book and suddenly become a millionaire. And that's why I'm interested in the journey. And I didn't feel like anybody asked Adam those questions. So I have. I've asked him those questions, you know, about how you pay the bills while you're trying to write when you've got a family and all these sorts of things. So, um, and, and it's a great interview. Really enjoyed talking to Adam. By the way, Adam wins the prize for the best ever audio on an interview. I don't know, I don't know what his setup is at home, but oh, it was beautiful audio quality. So I um, don't know how he did it. I must ask him because it was lovely. Um, but great interview with Adam. Um, he, 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 in 2015, he sort of, it was one of the biggest selling self-published books of the year. Uh, you must have been out the country, you know, or out the universe if you weren't aware of it. It was called Her Last Tomorrow. And it was all over the place. And, he's, and Adam has been all over the place because he's such a successful indie author. And now he's got sort of deals with Amazon, paid off his mortgage, and done amazing things. So he's my guest on Monday, the 17th of April. Please don't think oh, we've heard Adam speak before because I've got him talking about all sorts of different things that you won't have heard before on other podcasts. So that is next Monday's podcast. In the meantime, I'm off for a jolly over Easter. I don't think I'm writing next week, but I will have writing news for you next week and um, i'll update you with how dead of night's going because that should be ready for publication by the time we speak next week and um, in the meantime have a fabulous week of writing yourself i'll be back a week from now thanks for listening to paul's podcast diary make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days until then we hope you have a great week of writing <laughs>